Good morning, church. 2009, I took my very first mission trip to the Dominican Republic, gorgeous island. And this particular trip was a men's trip, so we had a lot of work projects. And uh, I'm not the best at working with my hands. I like working with people. Um, but this trip was a lot of working with our hands. And, and one of the big projects that we had is we were going to pour a concrete rooftop on top of a, a building that Mana Global Ministries was using for, for ministry. Small fishing village of Rio San Juan on the north side of the island. Uh, they had this location and then a much smaller one um, in a much smaller town or, or a village up in the hills just outside of this town. And um, came to love this place and love these people. Uh, but this work was some of the hardest work I've ever done in my entire life, ever. And the first day while we were doing the uh, rebar and getting everything ready to pour the concrete the following day, the job that I got stuck with, the, uh, the, the dumb guy who's sort of strong sometimes uh, work, I, I had to chip away some old busted concrete. And there was a section of concrete, I don't know, maybe like a quarter of this stage or something. And I'm up on this rooftop. There's no shade whatsoever. I hate the heat, by the way. And it's the Dominican in the summertime. So this, this heat just blazing down on me, thick tropical humidity. And here I am with this dull chisel and this really heavy sledgehammer. And I'm just chipping. And I'm chipping. And I'm chipping. And I'm sweating a lot. And I'm chipping. And I just remember this feeling after a couple of hours. I mean, besides the feeling of numb forearms and blisters and profuse sweat and verge of heat stroke, besides those feelings, I remember this feeling of just total discouragement. Because I'd been chipping away at this dude for quite a while, and I had just barely, sort of, almost kind of made a dent in it. It was this thick concrete. And I just remember this totally defeating feeling of thinking, what is the point? I'm never going to get this done, ever. This is crazy. Well, we took a lunch break that day, and during the lunch break, we sat around with the missionaries who had been living there, and they start to tell us about the many struggles and the challenges that they're facing, that the kingdom, that the gospel, the church is facing on this island in the Dominican. They tell us about how it's such, such a huge uh, route on the, on the drug trade from the drugs going from South America into Florida. The Dominican is a very important place and, and, and hub for all the drug trafficking in that region. Um, in 2009, we weren't even using the word sex trafficking, human trafficking, like we know about it today, and that island was riddled with it. Very, very sad situations. And it's a place where culturally it's Christian. They've got a long history of Catholicism on the island, so most people consider themselves Christians. And yet there's this, this dark grip of, of evil that you can just see all around, the alcoholism, the, the drug addiction, the lack of fathers in the home, the lack of, of, of men in leadership in the church, and, and they're talking about all these struggles. And I remember sitting there listening to it, feeling the exact same thing I've been feeling on that hot rooftop, going, my goodness, what, what difference are we going to make here? The job is way too big. You guys are just a, a few little missionaries supported by a few churches in this tiny little town. And, and you got this tiny little village up in the hills. I mean, what real difference and impact 
are we going to make here? But then I get back on the rooftop, and I keep chipping away, and I keep chipping away, and I keep chipping away. Pretty soon, my buddies that had finished the stuff they were working on came in and started giving me some breaks, and, and we started just taking turns, chipping away, chipping away. And by the end of the day, sure enough, what I thought was impossible turned out possible. We had all the concrete busted out of there. And the next day, we poured the concrete. But during our devotional that night, which we talked about the day and, and things that, that we experienced and we worshiped and we prayed, it all, it all flooded in. And I had that aha moment of that same feeling I had on that rooftop. And that same feeling I had thinking about the kingdom here on this island and all the challenges that the missionaries faced, I realized they're just chipping away. That's what we're here to do this week. We're, we're chipping away. The missionaries are chipping away and chipping away. Now, I was so blessed to get to return to that island three more times over the course of the next several years. We went every other year. This, these trips were different. I took my youth group, and we worked with the children. We worked with the teens and the children's programs, VBS, and served in various capacities. But what was so amazing was I got to watch these little kids who on that first trip were little bitty kids, and I got to see these children grow up in the Lord and become disciples. See, they started the, mission, the missionaries started a school there in the little village of Bobita. Very poor, rural area. These kids didn't have much of a bright future. And they got to go get a Christian education. And now, to this day, right now, those same little kids are now college students in the second largest city in the Dominican, Santiago, and they've started a college ministry. And so these ministries and these missionaries are absolutely making a world of difference in the people that God has given them to influence. They are disciples with the mentality that they're going to make disciples. And it's beautiful. And we've just got to keep chipping away, chipping away. And something you need to know about me is, if you don't know me, if you know me at all, you know i got ADD, okay? But, but I don't know if y'all know the extent. I don't know if y'all know the struggle, okay? Everybody says they have ADD, but okay, it is a debilitating mental illness, people. All right, I don't get to do stuff normal people do, like go to Walmart, uh-uh. No, Heather won't let me. I'm not allowed to go to Walmart. We learned that lesson years ago. Hey, honey, we need diapers, milk, bread. That's it. Hurry back, please. Diapers, milk, bread. Okay, four hours later, I got rotated tires, a haircut, a new bank account, flat screen TV, and a Snuggie. Forgot the milk, you know? I, I just can't go to that place. It's too much for me, okay? That was a joke, but just barely. All right, so I, get, I call these ADD attacks. And it's where I get totally overwhelmed. Kind of that same feeling on the rooftop in the Dominican where I just go, Whew. and two, two things happen when I get to that mode. I either get in hyperactivity mode where I think I've got to work on everything at the exact same time and I dabble here and I dabble there and I really don't get anything done but I've worn myself out and stressed everybody else out around me. I go to that level or I go to the opposite level where it's just mental paralysis and I just go, uh, and I got no idea where to start. And, and obviously nothing happens there either. So the reason I'm telling you this is because that's also how I feel in the spiritual sense, oftentimes being an evangelist to college students. Walking across a college campus going, uh, where do we start? The lost just keep getting more lost. And it can be extremely, extremely discouraging. 
Maybe you feel the same way watching the news, scrolling through social media, thinking, uh, where do we start? How do we, how do we, how do we fix anything? <laughs> it's gotten so ridiculous. Think about these words in 2 Peter 3, 1 through 5. It's understandable why we might feel this way, because this is what God's word says. You must understand this. In the last days, there will be violent periods of time. People will be selfish and love money. They will brag and be arrogant and use abusive language. They will curse their parents, show no gratitude, have no respect for what is holy, and lack normal affection for their families. They will refuse to make peace with anyone. They will be slanderous, lack self-control, be brutal, and have no love for what is good. They will be traitors. They will be reckless and conceited. They will love pleasure rather than God. And they will appear to have a godly life, but they will not let its power change them. Stay away from such people. These are the church people. <laughs> That's the scary part, right? We're sitting there going, uh-huh, yep, sounds like the world with them. Yeah, wait, what? That's the, oh, that's the people that go to church, too. So how much more off the rails are the people that don't care, right? Who aren't making any kind of attempt to have a relationship with God. And we look at this world and we go, oh, my goodness. And I know there's this, there's this question Jesus posed. Now, until preparing for this sermon a few weeks back, I couldn't have told you any context whatsoever, which was important. Context is important, people. All right? But I remembered this question by Jesus. He simply said, but when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? And that's, that question just never sat right with me because I felt like Jesus had some doubt in that, in that statement. Like, and I started to believe that. Like, is it going to get so bad that by the time Jesus comes back, he can't even find anybody that's got faith. He can't even find anybody that's looking for him. But I don't believe that's the case at all. I don't believe that's the case. Because when we look at the context, I don't have this up on the screen, but if you, if you want to take a glance at it, the previous chapter, Luke chapter 17, Jesus teaches and demonstrates so much on faith for his disciples to, to take in and to learn. He starts by saying, in later times, kind of like the Second Peter passage, in later times there will be times where people cause other people to lose their faith. Like that's going to happen. But he gives this very stern warning for those who cause others to lose their faith. Then he goes on to teach about forgiveness and how we should keep forgiving people over and over again. And at that, the apostles go, whoa, Lord, please increase our faith. And so he, he jumps from there, from their request to increase their faith, he jumps from there to say, okay, look, guys, if you've got the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree to be uprooted, planted into the sea, and it will obey you. From there he goes and he finds these ten people who have leprosy. He heals them. Only one of the ten comes back to thank and praise Jesus. And Jesus responds, your faith has made you well. Then he closes that whole chapter with this, with this talk about when the Son of Man returns. He talks about the end times. Get these apostles thinking about the end. Now we pick up this question, which is tagged on at the end of a parable about faith and prayer. So if you want to read along with me, I'm in Luke 18 now, starting in verse 1. Jesus used this illustration with his disciples to show them that they need to pray all the time and never give up. 
He said, in the city there was a judge who didn't fear God or respect people. In that city there was also a widow who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice. For a while the judge refused to do anything, but then he thought, this widow really annoys me. Although I don't fear God or respect people, I'll have to give her justice. Otherwise, she'll keep coming to me until she wears me out. The Lord added, pay attention to what the dishonest judge thought. Won't God give his chosen people justice when they cry out to him for help day and night? Is he slow to help them? I can guarantee that he will give them justice quickly. But when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? I believe the reason Jesus poses that question is because he's got to get these apostles, these disciples who are following him, to really feel the weight of what he's about to call them to do. I'm teaching you all about faith. I'm showing you faith. I'm increasing your faith. But there's going to come a time where I leave, and I leave it up to you to spread this faith and to keep your faith. And as we know very well, their faith is about to get tested like crazy at Jesus' arrest and, and crucifixion. And they, it's the, the weight is really left on their shoulders to take this faith to the rest of the world. And I believe that's why Jesus poses this question for them. Not to make them feel overwhelmed, but for them to, to actually act out this faith. But while we're on this subject, there's something I, I really I need to teach. So this is the sermon within a sermon, Okay. All right, so for some of you, this may be your only takeaway, and that must be what the Holy Spirit needs you to take away, and that's okay. But I want you to understand something. While Jesus is talking about faith and teaching about faith, your faith is absolutely under attack. Your faith and my faith are under a barrage of attacks from the enemy every single day from multiple angles. But here's the good thing. God gives us Satan's strategy right out of the gate. As soon as he shows up, God's like, let me show you what he's up to, okay? Genesis chapter 3. If you have your Bible, it's not on the screen. If you want to follow along, I'm just going to give you a quick recap of Satan and Eve and their exchange. Satan shows up and he poses a question. He says, did God really say you can't eat any of these, these trees, any, or any fruit from these trees in the garden? Did he really say you can't eat from any of this? Well, Eve corrects him. No, that's not what he said. That's ridiculous. Eve corrects him and says, well, no, no, we can eat from anything except that one. The tree, the knowledge of good and evil, we can't eat that one or we'll surely die. (laughs) You won't die. Don't worry about it. You're not going to die. Okay? So, so far, right out of the gate, let's question God's word. Let's throw some doubt at what God really said. And now let's sprinkle some lies in there. Let me go ahead and tell you a lie that you'll believe because it's got just a hint of truth. Because sure enough, when Adam and Eve eat of this fruit, they don't just drop dead immediately physically. Okay, But as we know, they drop dead spiritually. They're cut off from God, from the very source of life itself. They're cut off. And eventually, over time, they will physically die just like all the rest of us. So we've started to doubt God's word. Now we sprinkle in a lie that sounds really believable. And now, here comes the real temptation. Satan Satan says, look, God doesn't want you to eat that because he knows once you do, you're going to be like him, knowing both good and evil. Oh, I'll be like God, you say. Okay, now I'm interested. 
Because guess what? I want to be like God. The, the biggest struggles I have in my life is this war between who's the Lord of my life. Because sometimes I think I know what's better for Brandon than what God's got planned. Sometimes I think my will is more important. And so we see this from the very get-go, that Satan's going to make the most of that as he can. And so now I've doubted God's word, I've believed a lie, and now I've let my pride rise up. And now I'm acting upon that pride. Now I want to be like God. And now, because of that, I've now doubted God's character. I'm not only doubting God's word now, now he is doubting God's character. Well, why would God hold out on us like that? Maybe he's not as loving and kind and good as I thought. He's trying to keep something good from us. And now I'm doubting his even, even doubting his character along with his word. Then, and only then, at that point, does suddenly this fruit look awful tasty to Eve. See, Satan never started with the, the shiny, pretty fruit. He didn't start there. And that's the tactic he uses to this very day. After we've been through all this questioning and doubting and, and believing lies and, and struggling with this pride, now suddenly that temptation looks awfully good. And that, you know what? Now that you mention it, I am pretty hungry. What's it going to hurt? What I hope, what I hope you, you can picture right now is we've painted this picture of what we're called to do as Christians and chipping away and chipping away and chipping away, faithfully serving the Lord, faithfully carrying out his commands and the Great Commission and making a difference in the world. All the while, Satan's got the same exact tactics, guys. He's chipping away and chipping away and chipping away at our faith. You know, most college students don't completely walk away from their relationship and their, their faith with God. It, at the very first time, a professor who has an atheistic agenda throws some, some doubt at their beliefs. Most college students walk, don't walk away from their faith the first time they go to a party they got no business going to. It's a slower fade than that. Most families don't walk out on their families and go live in adultery the very first time that temptation arises. It's a slow fade. It's a chipping away and a chipping away from multiple angles. I think one of the keys we've got to focus on to keep from becoming totally overwhelmed, to, to keep from letting Satan discourage us in the world that we see, can be found in Psalm 37. You've heard me preach on this psalm before. This won't be the last time, I promise, because it's my favorite. And I have to read it all the time, especially when I feel this ADD attack coming on. And I start getting discouraged. So read with me Psalm 37, starting in verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be, be not envious towards wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil doing. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the earth. 
I want to I really hone in on verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Dwell in the land and practice faithfulness. Regardless of what's going on all around us, don't get overwhelmed. Just faithfully dwell where God has planted us, grow where God has planted us, and be faithful, chipping away and chipping away and making the difference that we can with the things that we can and trusting in God with all the rest that's way out of our control. I believe this is the key, and I can't even tell you how much peace, how much peace this has given me. I got to read it all the time, especially when we get close to election time. I got to read it all the time to get that reminder. Because I think what the world around us needs to see so much right now are people who have hope, people who have peace, and are a peaceful presence, and people who we just aren't rattled because our faith sees beyond the junk of this world. And we've got to see that because we've got, these, we've got so much extremes, right? There's so many extremes and polarized views and attitudes, but one of the extremes I see is I see a lot of people today who are the ostriches with their heads in the sand, having no idea what's really going on in the world. And then you got the opposite. you got the chicken little running around. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. We're all going to die, right? And it's like, how do we, how do we, how do we be balanced, right? How do we... How can we be aware of what's going on but not let it rattle us and be people of peace? Guys, here's the thing. This has been the case from the start. We know, we read Revelation. We know it's going to be the case again. We as followers of God are the minority. We just are. We're the minority. And following Jesus means going against the grain. It means going against the current of our culture and our society and doing things that are totally counter-cultural. That's the way it always has been. It's the way it will be. But there's always the saved. There's always the remnant. Even back when Jesus, God's like, I'm done with this place. Let's just flood it and start over. There's still a faithful few. And we know there's going to be faithful masses at the end. Because the Holy Spirit is alive. Holy Spirit is, is working wonders. I didn't have time to fit this in. I promise I'm going to fit this in some other time and tell you some stories from our mission trip in Athens. But, but just getting a, a hint of what God is doing in places around the world where Christianity is outlawed and where people are seriously per- persecuted and how the gospel is on fire and the church is on fire. It's so, so, so encouraging. I wish I had time, but I don't have time to go there right now. But just know it, okay? Like I said, I get overwhelmed at times. I have these moments of extreme discouragement. Questioning, man, what kind of difference can we really make? This small campus ministry in this massive uh, college town and, and trying to compete with, with what the forces of darkness are doing in our young people, it's, it's tough. But I have another story I want to share with you. It was another aha moment, very similar to the one in the Dominican. But this one had a little different takeaway for me. So four Christmases ago, the day, tragically, the day after Christmas, there was a tornado. Freak thing. We don't have tornadoes in December, but we did this time. And it was in the East Dallas Mesquite area. A few lives were lost, um, massive amounts of destruction. And about a month after the tornado hit, I took my youth group um, to go do a little, little storm cleanup. 
And so we spent a, a Sunday afternoon, had teens, had some adult volunteers, and we went and tried to do a little bit that we could to help. So I show up, and this is what I see when we first show up. So knowing what you know about me and my ADD, how do you think my brain was, was in this moment, right? Like, ah, uh, you know, where on earth do you start? And it was so overwhelming. But what I found out, we, you can go to the next picture. What I, our job that day was to just clear off, I think it was two foundations. There were two foundations. We were going to get completely scraped clean, get all the debris off so that the people could start the rebuilding process. And what I found was, is if I could just focus on a small area, maybe an area half the size of this stage, and I could pull in a, a couple of volunteers, get a couple of my team and say, hey guys, let's knock out this pile right here and just focus on this one. And we'll get this one knocked out and clean and move on to the next one. Now, for a lot of you who don't suffer from my illness, you're thinking, well, duh, that's the only way you can approach that, right? For me, my ADD, this was a big step, guys, okay? This was a really big step. And so I did great as long as I stayed focused on that small piece and doing a little bit at a time. And I had people with me, keeping me encouraged, keeping me focused. I did great. But the problem came when I looked up. The problem came when I stood up and I looked out and I, all I saw was this foundation multiplied by thousands, and I knew the tornado path and its destruction went far beyond what I could see on the horizon. And it was this extremely defeating, extremely discouraging feeling. But this time I heard the voice of Satan. This time I heard this voice saying, Brandon, what are you doing out here? This is stupid. You're wasting your time. You? You're not even good at this kind of stuff. And you got some teenagers, and you're out here for three hours on one afternoon. What difference could you possibly make? This thing goes on for miles. This is dumb. Get back in the church van and go home. You're wasting your time. You're not going to make a difference. And that was totally a lie. The devil's a liar, y'all. Thank you. He's a liar. Because that's not true at all. See, with enough people... With enough time, with a united effort, all that's going to get cleaned up. Can't replace the lives that were lost, but all those houses can get replaced. Neighborhoods, communities can get rebuilt and reestablished, and people can find some form of normalcy to go back to with enough help, with enough skills all working together, enough resources and commitment and faithful chipping away, it gets done. But here's the aha moment I took. This is where I started to see the gospel in a whole, a whole nother lens. I realized that same voice I heard from Satan was probably really similar to the voice Jesus heard on the cross. As he's carrying his cross up the hill, as he's being nailed to it, as he's dying slowly on it, I bet he heard a voice that sounded something like this. What are you doing? You're... You're the son of God. What are you doing on a cross? This is dumb. What difference are you possibly going to make? Let me tell you something. These are your people having you crucified. I've got them this messed up. Imagine what I'll do with the rest of the world. I'm going to make sure that billions and billions of people never even hear about what you're doing right now. I'm going to make sure 
billions of people hear about it, believe it, and then walk away and come right back to me. In fact, you know what? I'm going to have some people just so messed up that they're going to persecute the few people who do believe in you. They're going to treat your followers the same way they're treating you right now. They're not worth it. Get down off that cross. They're not worth it. Thank God Jesus didn't listen. He looked at you. He looked at me and said, no, they are, they are worth it. They are so worth it. He looked at the faithful few and said, we will make a difference. He looked at his followers and said, they will take this gospel to the ends of the earth. He looked at the people that are so far off the rails, lost, and said, you know what, they're worth it too. That's the light that we've got to be able to see the world through. That's the power of this gospel that we sing about, that we preach about, that we talk about. That's the power. Jesus says you're worth it. He says this world is worth it, and we must remain faithful. I'm going to give you this verse from Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, as we land. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's exactly what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to grow weary, lose heart. Give up. You know, just, just stay in our little holy huddle and, and just ride this thing out and hope Jesus hurries up and comes back. We got work to do. Start chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. There's a quote I love from Craig Rochelle. He says, we often overestimate what God's going to do in the short term, but we severely underestimate what God's going to do in the long term. We want these instant results. We're microwave people. God's a slow cooker God, right? The Bible's full of those stories. People having to wait. People having to faithfully endure and trust. God's got this, guys. God has got this. I feel like, I feel like the prayer of serenity just modified slightly is kind of the summary of this, of this thought this morning. So I'm going to invite you to pray, to stand with me. And we're going to pray, and then we'll, we'll be led in song. There's someone here who you feel like your faith is absolutely under attack. And it's been chipped away and eroded away so badly. If, if you need to come forward and just be prayed on and loved on and encouraged in a, in a, in a meaningful way, please, please come forward and do that. If you've thought about the gospel this morning in a whole, new, a whole new way and really, really embrace what Jesus has done for you and the love God has and the hope and the plans and the will he has for your life. And you're ready to make that step of faith and follow him regardless of what that might cost. We would love nothing more to help you with that step, to help you be baptized into Christ. We win. We win, guys. We win. We win. Let's pray. 
Father God, I pray for our faith. Just as your, your own apostles ask you for, for an increased faith, God, we, we pray, Lord, increase our faith. We know it's under attack. Lord, open our eyes and help us to see all the different tactics of Satan and to no longer believe any lies, to, to never exchange your truth for a lie, but to hold on to your truth. God, give us clarity and discernment as we walk this crazy, crazy path in life. Uh, we thank you, Father for your sacrifice on that cross, Lord. Thank you so much for faithfully enduring. Give us the strength to do the same. Lord, please help us to be prayerful, faithfully prayerful about the things that we cannot change that are out of our control and to trust you with those and to rest in you. Lord, help us have the courage and the faith, the obedience to change the things that we can. And Lord, grant us the wisdom by your spirit to know the difference. In Jesus' name we thankfully pray. Amen.